0: If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Um, it is my utmost pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, this church is so dear to my heart. I hope you know that. Um, it's dear to my heart primarily because of relationships As Marv was saying, uh, he is one of my dear friends. Uh, He is one of the select people I can be completely honest with and raw with, yes. Um, And uh, truly, truly a dear brother. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for Shayon. Where is he? Shayon led us so well. Uh, Shayon came and uh, was an aide to our church at a time that was really low for us at Toronto, at, at Toronto West. And so we are so thankful for him. So we love you. And as I look in the faces uh, during worship, I kept looking back. And I was like, oh, my goodness, their family and their family and their family. So many of you uh, from Toronto West as well. And uh, some we've, we've met re- just recently in our family already. I'm so thankful for you. Um, but another reason why we're so uh, uh, excited about this church and why it means so much to us is because you're a church plant in this city. Uh, we believe that this city deeply needs the gospel. Uh, as, just as we were walking around, it reminded us of what it was like when we were planting Hope Church Toronto West six years ago. And I really love church planting, particularly how your elders are thinking through this church plant. Because in church planting, it forces you to ask a few questions. It forces you to ask questions about what the church should look like and what it currently looks like. It's probably a good time to stop and ask, what does it look like in Canada to belong to a church today? If you went to a churchgoer's schedule, what would be in their schedule? What would their calendar look like? And at a more fundamental level, what are the rhythms of the church in 21st century Canadian Christianity, Torontonian Christianity? And if I could hazard a guess, I could think that perhaps on the best of days, it is filled with great things. It is, filled, it is marked by joyous gatherings, passionate worship, powerful preaching by men like Pastor Marv. They're all good things, amazing things. But underneath it all, underneath it all, on our worst day, underneath all the good activity, I think all of us in this city will be tempted to two things. Two things. In our church in the north... <laughs> We may be tempted to treat Christianity like an addition, like an addition. It's just another thing added to our lives, in addition to the calendar. I've got my home life, I've got my work life, and I add to it one more category, my Jesus category. It's just added to our lives. But it's important to ask the question, is Christianity a mere addition? Our text today is going to answer that question temptation to treat Christianity like like an addition, but we also have a temptation to treat Christianity like an individual sport. We can think to ourselves, yes, I know church and other Christians are important. I mean, I'm sitting right here in a church plant, so obviously church is a priority. But in the end, we can often have a soft belief in our hearts, a soft whisper that thinks, you know what? In the end, the real meat of the Christian life is my personal alone time with God. That's where all the action happens. That's where I get all my intimacy. That's where I get all of my worship. That's where all the action happens. It sounds so pietistic. It sounds so noble. But is it right? Is my Christian, is my Christian life mainly an individual sport? And our text is going to challenge these two questions and answer these two questions. I think first, our text is going to show us that Christianity is not a mere addition. It's a new devotion. It's not a mere addition. It's a new devotion. But secondly, it's going to show us that Christianity isn't first alone. It's first done together. It's not a mere addition and mostly alone. It is a new devotion and mostly together. That's the big idea of our text that we just read, and that's the title of our sermon this morning, Be Devoted Together. And so we're going to dive right into our text, but before we do that, let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you move this morning. Lord, it says in your word that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, we ask that your word will cut us to the heart, that it will lay us bare Lord, we hear what you say in the book of Hebrews. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. So Lord, I pray, we're not asking your word to be sharper. We're asking for our hearts to be softer, for your word to penetrate. In your most precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to, your, to the text right now, where it's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And as you're turning there, I'd like to give just some context. In our passage, we find ourselves right smack in the middle of the birthplace of the local church. We're in the hospital ward where the church was born. If you flip the page back in Acts 1, Jesus had just ascended and told the disciples to wait for them to be clothed with power. In Acts two, we see the spirit coming like a rushing wind, filling them with boldness, words to proclaim the gospel. Peter stands up and proclaims to us to an assembly of Jews the gospel. Incredibly, even though they all speak different languages, they all hear it in their own language. They hear the Word of God proclaimed. They hear this one message: "Jesus is the risen king. Jesus is the risen Christ." And the response is monumental. Just look a few verses before our text in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. I'm going to read it. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation." So, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Sinclair Ferguson calls this the inaugural revival of the New Testament. 3,000 souls added in a day. Beautiful, amazing. And it's at this point, I mean, you read the book of Acts, and you see amazing things happening all the time, and they are so full of action. You hear that, and you want to hear how the story continues. You want to say, what happens next? What else is the Spirit going to do? Is he going to heal people? Is he going to do amazing things that are so newsworthy that will blow your mind? What's going to happen next? Take me to the action. But Luke, in his wisdom, and being led by the Spirit, doesn't take us to the action. Because Acts has this beautiful feature. At various points in the book of Acts, it pauses It pauses for these summary statements that are inserted in between the action and they're a snapshot into the life of the church. And this is his first pause. This is his first snapshot. It's like Luke is trying to tell us, before the action continues, we're going to stop and take a photo. And this photo is so significant. It's the very first one. It's the first photo of the church that was just born. It was the first snapshot of the infant church. My phone is filled with photos of my kids. But there's something special about the very first snapshot I ever took of my kids because it was the first one, and it's no different here. Here we have a snapshot of the infant church, and it reminds us of who we're supposed to be at the core. So what does that snapshot look like? Look at your text. Look down. Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'll read it again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, those who were being saved. Now, before we zoom in to every single verse, let's zoom out just to take a a look at the structure of the whole passage. If you look closely, there's actually a rhythm to this passage. There's a beat to the passage. It goes a little bit like this. They were together and then. They were together and then. Look down at verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves and then all. Look at verse 44. It says, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together, and then later on the Lord added. Do you see this beautiful rhythm here? Together and then. Together and then. Over and over, this passage shows us the rhythm of the early church. Together and then. But Then it it begs the question, what were they doing together? What were they doing together? They they weren't just together. They were doing something. Well, verse 42 gives us the summary of that, and the rest of the verses give us the details. So always look, we're going to look at verse 42. It's the summary, and the rest of the verses are details. Verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What did the early church do together they devoted themselves. If there is one word that best describes the main action of the believers at the time, it's this, devoted. For the early church, their new life as Christ followers was not a mere addition to their already busy lives, but a new devotion. And this should really come as no surprise. Earlier on, in the passage we read, Peter calls them to save themselves from this crooked generation. Do you know what Peter's saying to them and he's saying to us Today, He's saying, if you want Jesus Christ in your life, you can't just have him alongside the rest of the things in your life. He's saying, if you want Jesus in your life, he's going to take you out of your generation. He's going to set you apart. It's not a life modification. It's a life overhaul. It's not an addition to the side of the house. It's a complete remodel, complete renovation. It's not a mere addition, but a new total devotion. And there you have it. This is what the passage is all about. It's about how the church was devoted together. That's who they are. That's who they were, and that's who we have to be at our very, very core. Now, if you're sitting here, before we even get to the meat of the passage, I need you to know, this is what you signed up for as a Christian. Devotion together. It's just part of the deal. Even though each of us has to be saved individually, we're not saved individualistically. I'm going to say that again. Each of the, even though each of us is saved individually, we're not saved individualistically. Each of us has to come one at a time and put our faith in Jesus Christ. But when we're saved, it doesn't mean that we just add a little thing to our life. It means a new devotion and a new community completely. It's just part of the deal. If you want to be a Christian and you just merely want to add to your life, you're not even in the game. If you want to be a Christian and you view, but you want to still view your life in this church plant as just another thing, you're not in the game. If you want to view your Christian life as a mostly alone activity, you're not even in the game. Before we get to the meat of the passage, you have to know this is what we were called to, devotion together. Devotion together. There's no way around it, but if you're in the game, keep reading. Because this passage gives us so many answers. It answers the question, well, what were they devoted together to? What were the rhythms of the devotion in the early church? In this passage, we see three rhythms, three rhythms of total devotion in the early church. Rhythm number one, they were together for the word, then awe. Together for the word, and then awe. Verse 42 again, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the fellowship and the breaking of bread and, and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What were they together for? What was the first thing they were together for? The apostles' teaching. Now, in some ways, you have to stop and just be so amazed by how surprising that is. Like, think of, put yourself in their shoes. They had just experienced the greatest thing ever, the greatest spectacle ever. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke and people heard them in multiple languages. A huge crowd of people came and joined the faith. If there was ever a time to focus on experiences, to crave more experiences, and to devote themselves to more experiences, it was now. See, look at verse 43. It even says it in the text, "...and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles." I mean, you turn the page and a lame beggar is healed. Amazing things were happening. And it wasn't even just hype. It was real. Miracles were taking place. But nowhere in this text and nowhere that I've seen in the book of Acts does it ever say the disciples devoted themselves to the signs and wonders and experiences. No. They devoted themselves to the word of God. Signs and wonders were happening but they didn't devote themselves to them. Hope Church Toronto North, I I am so confident that God will do mighty things in your midst. That That you'll see people move from death to life, from darkness to light, that you'll see people healed from addictions and from a multitude of sinful slavery, but you should never, ever devote yourself to those things. Don't devote yourself to experience. It's the lure of our culture to build a ministry around hype or experience, but never do that Even if the experience is real and miraculous, always always center your church first around the Word of God. The Word of God. Because you know what happens? You know what results? Awe. Awe. Verse 43. Awe came upon every soul. When you devote yourself together for the Word, then awe will come. Now, it's really easy to read this passage and think to yourself, Well, they were just in awe because of all the signs and wonders performed by the apostles, right? Like, I would be in awe too if I saw all those signs and wonders. Yeah, the signs were amazing. But remember, they weren't just in awe of the signs. They were in awe of what the signs meant. They weren't just in awe of the signs, but they were in awe of what the signs meant. Because You see, because signs in the Bible have always acted like certification documents. What did the signs certify? They certif- the signs certified, whoa, these men must truly be the apostles of Jesus. They must have really walked with him. They must really have the authoritative words of Jesus. The signs were like certification documents, but the true diamond was the authoritative words of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I remember a story. I, went, I helped my, my friend pick out an engagement ring, and after he got it set and everything, they, they brought it to a jeweler, and they certified it, and when he had the documents, he was like, wow, that's amazing. But do you know what I made him do? He made him take out his diamond ring and look at the diamond a little bit closer because the, the awe isn't in the certification document. The, eye is, the awe is in the diamond, and the diamond here is the word of God. They saw the signs and said, wow, this really is true. Jesus really is who he said he was. He is that glorious. He glistens in every facet. He really was God incarnate. He really was raised from the dead. He really is Lord and Savior, and my life has changed. Awe. Oh, awe. Oh. Now, sometimes it's hard to read the book of Acts because you think, okay, while well, they weren't in all of the signs, they weren't in all of the word of God, but still, it must have man, what a time to be alive, right? Like, those surely were the good old days. Man, if, if only I could be there and truly witness what they witnessed, I bet I'd be pretty fired up too. If I could taste and see what they could, I bet my life would be pretty different too. But here's the truth you already have what they have, and perhaps more. James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way. I think it's on the screen. He says this, How is it possible for us to focus on the apostolic teaching? These men gave us the New Testament. This is the deposit of their teaching. When it came time to collect the books that were to become uh, our New Testament, the criterion by which that was done was whether they came from the apostles or bore the apostolic blessing. Moreover, the fact that we have our New Testament is a fulfillment of what Jesus Christ said he would do through these apostles. In order for us to copy the New Testament church at this point, as we should, we are to study the book these men have left us. It is the New Testament that the authentic teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be found. You want to taste and see like they did. <laughs> you feel you feel like you don't have what they had. You do, and you have something far more. You have way you have more than enough than to to be complete. More than you think. You have a remarkable systematic presentation of the gospel in Romans. They didn't. You have a manual on sticky ethical situations in 1 Corinthians. They didn't. Not at that time. They have a, you have a beautiful song of Christ's humiliation and his exaltation in Philippians. They didn't have that at that time. You have a glorious anthem of Jesus' preeminence in Colossians. They didn't. You have enough to be complete and so much more. Those were not the good old days because you have this in your hand. These are the good old days. Be devoted to the word. Be devoted to the word. Hope Church Toronto North, would you devote yourself to the word together? Would you devote yourself to studying and obeying all that Christ had commanded you? Would you devote yourself to doctrine? That's my prayer for this church, that you would see the living power of the word of God. Devote yourself to it. That the word of Christ would dwell in you richly and just watch what happens. Watch the awe come. Watch the awe grow. Watch the truth sink in. Watch hearts throughout the church say to themselves, just like the early disciples did, wow, Jesus really is the real deal. He really is as glorious. He really is Lord over every square inch of my life. Awe, real awe. That's the first rhythm of the local church. Together for the word, then awe. But they weren't just together for the word, they were also together for fellowship, That's our second point. The early church rhythm number two is this. They were together for fellowship and then joyful generosity. Back to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the the prayers. They devoted themselves to fellowship. So foundational. But here's a quick little warning. There's probably no other Bible word like the word fellowship that is so watered down and so diluted. Derek Thomas describes it this way. He says, Few Bible words have suffered more distortion than the word fellowship. We commonly reduce it to chatter and cookies in the church hall, thinking that this is what the New Testament had in mind. Now, I love chatter and cookies. They are great. But they're not the entirety of fellowship. So what exactly did the New Testament have in mind? Well, John saw looks at this paragraph here, and he says the word fellowship was actually born right here. It was born on the day of Pentecost. This passage gives us a picture of uh, of it, and it all lines up. See, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. It has its roots in the word koina, which means in common. In short, fellowship, at its root, means to share in common. The basic trait of true fellowship is to share in common. So that's why you can link verse 42 to verse 44. Because it truly gives a snapshot of their koinonia, their sharing in common. Verse 44 reads this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Do you see that word? In common. That was what their fellowship looked like. That's true fellowship at work. And, but 40, verse 44 isn't where it stops. Verse 45 continues. It's almost like Luke is trying to tell you this. Do you know what true in common fellowship looks like? Do you know what it really means to have fellowship and to share? Watch. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They shared in common. What did they share? Everything. I want us to hear Luke now. That word, by word, fellowship is so diluted, except when you look at this passage, it defines for us what true fellowship is, and it is this radical sharing that goes way beyond cookies and chatter. How, where did it go? How deep was it? I noticed in this text three things the early church shared in common. They were amazing. I think there are three things that we're called to share as well. First, they shared their time. They share their time. Look at verse 44. It says, all who believe were together. I love this simplicity. Do you know what their first step was? They were just together. It's so simple, so straightforward. But honestly, it's a struggle in our city. Because I think there's two big barriers. One, we're often too busy. And two, we're often too task-oriented. See, if someone came up to me on my worst day, and they were like, hey, man, do you want to get together? I would say, well, I would maybe force a smile and like groaningly flip out my calendar. And as I thumb through my calendar, I'd reply, hmm, let's see. As I'm scrolling, I'd probably say, like, hey, by the way, what do you want to get together for? <laughs> in the end, you know, simply being together becomes a tall task. We're too busy. We're too task-oriented. There's no space in the calendar, and we'll only put something in there if we're actually getting something done. Are you like me? Because if you are, You have to acknowledge, like me, we're missing out. Hope Church on North, make time to share your time with one another. Look, it's a church plant. It's busy. There's a lot of stuff that has to get done. But still, make time. Be together. The Acts 2 church was a church plant too, and they shared their time. Oh, that we would be a community that would just share time together. Just time together in the word and fellowship as our default setting and our joyful preoccupation. Share time. That's the first thing the early church shared, their time. Secondly, they shared their homes. Look at verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together, there's the word again, together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They shared their homes. Simply put, meals were central to the life of the church. Uh, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery explains this. He says, It says, ordinary hospitality became a crucial way of supporting and sustaining missionaries in introducing newcomers to Jesus in the way. Such meals cha- uh, challenged believers to cross and forsake traditional boundaries between gender, rank, religion, and ethnicity. Meals became a way of demonstrating and celebrating their new kinship in Jesus' family. We're a family. So we open our homes and we share our meals together. That's what the earliest believers did. Now, if you're anything like me, however, you might read this passage and love the picture it's giving, but realize that it's so rare in our culture. Ordinary hospitality has become so rare in our culture, so rare that it can hardly be called ordinary anymore. Because for some reason in the West... Or hospitality comes with this pressure. We feel, we feel this pressure to make our houses look like Ikea catalogs before anyone comes in. We, we feel this pressure. Like we have this very specific Western concept about hospitality, and it's called hosting a party. It, it, it means getting everything prim and proper for people to come in. We don't want people to see our mess, either literal or metaphorical, and so our doors stay closed. Or sometimes it's not the condition of our house. Sometimes it's the condition of our hearts. We just don't want the hassle. I I just want my space. I don't really want to be on. I just want to sit at home with my sweats. They may all seem like well-meaning reasons, but here's the warning. They're marks of self-absorption, not others-oriented, God-glorifying hospitality. Look, you're going to have some mess. It's going to be a hassle, but don't let it stop you from sharing your home. Your house isn't an Ikea catalog. Share your home anyway. You're going to want to choose comfort uh, over uh, the comfort of privacy, but share your home anyways. Can I give you a tip that helped my family so much in this area? This was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. They said this, give a house key to someone in your church family. I'm not saying it's a universal prescription. I'm just saying for me, that helped me so much. (laughs) He said, you know, give a house key to someone in your church family, especially those who didn't have family in the city you know, my family members, my biological family members have a house key. And, and why not my church family? There's literally two or three people in our church who have my house key. At first, when we started doing this, um, it just always felt like I had, we had to get the house prepped and ready, that I wouldn't be able to wear my sweats, that I'd have to make conversation constantly. But you know what? Our key-carrying car- key guests ended up turning into our key-carrying family. Our key-carrying guests ended up turning into our key-carrying family. I, we literally just had a few of them um, on Friday night. They had, our, they had keys, and so they put, our, they put our boy down in his bed. It was a joy for them to come in. It's a joy to have an impromptu meal, even if it's over frozen pizza. Joy, joy. Share your homes. Get over the Western hang-ups. Share your homes. That's the second thing the early church shared, their homes. The early church shared their time. The early church shared their homes lastly the early church shared their possessions their possessions verse 44 if you look at it again is dripping with fellowship language it said sharing in common that's fellowship language verse 44 says they had all things in common all things in common what does that mean what does it mean to have all things in common well verse 45 explains here's the explanation of what it means to have all things in common it says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing as any had need. Radically stunning. They didn't just open their calendars. They didn't just open their doors. They opened their wallets. They didn't just bring people into their homes. They moved stuff out. Simply put, generosity was their first impulse, even with possessions and belongings. Now, before we get swept up, I remember I used to read this as a, as a young man. I'm like, all right, I'm going to put every, all my stuff on Kijiji now. I'm going to start selling my possessions. This is what God's word is saying. A few clarifying statements. Firstly, we have to note that this practice, the simple practice of liquidation and just redistribution, it didn't really last long in the book of Acts. We see later in Acts 4 and 5 that the way in which they cared for the needy totally changed. In Acts 5, you see the apostles stepping in when fraud and deceit entered the picture with Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts 6, you see the apostles encountering logistical challenges, uh, causing them to raise up proto-deacons, men full of the spirit, to administer to the needs of the Hellenistic widows among them. See, as the church grew in complexity, the way in which we have to meet needs changes as well. But that should never, never allow us to rationalize the great weight of this passage. What's the great weight? Generosity always must be our first impulse. It's got to be the first thing we reach for. It's, we got to think, man, what can I give? What can I give? It's always an amazing question to think why there is such an emphasis on generosity in the book of Acts. I mean, it is a beautiful picture, but why the emphasis? Because across two books, Luke has been trying to get us to, to this liberating truth. I've sometimes heard this, this passage preached before, and verse 45 is nothing but a guilt trip. Verse 45 sounds like look if you want to be this community start giving start giving you should feel really bad cuz you're not giving. But that's not at all what Luke is trying to get at. Luke is not looking to chain us, he is looking to liberate us because through across two books he's trying to let us in on this liberating freeing truth. You know what it is? The call to generosity is not a guilt trip to give more. It's a pathway to freedom. The call to generosity is not a guilt trip for, for, to give more, but it's a pathway to freedom. The call in the book of Luke and the book of Acts is the way to gain life is to lose it. This is how John Piper puts it. He, it's on the screen. He says this, This was one of Luke's great passions, that Christians use their possessions for the needs of others and not just their own comfort. Luke alone tells the story of the good Samaritan. Luke alone tells the parable of the rich fool who built bigger and bigger barns. And the story of God's great banquet that people couldn't come to because they had fields and cattle to tend to. And the story of the dishonest manager and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. More than any other New Testament writer, Luke stresses the danger of letting our life consist in things we possess. The radical fellowship of Acts 2, verse 44 to 45, was an antidote for the suicide of materialism committed by the man who built bigger and bigger barns and lost his soul. I'm going to read that again. The radical fellowship of Acts two forty four to 45, was an antidote for the suicide of materialism committed by the man who built bigger and bigger barns and lost his soul. You know what Jesus is saying? Life consists of more than the abundance of possessions. Do you know how to guard yourself from the suicide of materialism? To guard your soul from being lost to the love of possessions? From, to guard your soul from, from being possessed by your possessions? Give them away. And you will find their grip on you loosened. You'll lose your addiction for more possessions. You'll have peace when you lose your possessions. And you, you know what the best part is? You will take hold of that which is truly life. You will have joy. That's what the early church looked like. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They went together. For some reason, when we think of generosity, we think, oh, what a drag. It's going to hurt. It's all pain. There's no joy. But in the New Testament church, they went together, glad and generous hearts. Joy, joyful generosity. It's what happens when you share everything. Time. Homes, possession. That's Koinonia fellowship. They shared everything in common. Together for fellowship, then joyful generosity. Hope Church Toronto North, as hard as this is, be a generous church. Would you make it your first impulse right now in the early stages of your church? Be generous with one another. Be generous with the church. My utmost desire for you is not for your wallets, my utmost desire for you is your joy. Your joy. Be together for fellowship, the sharing in common, for the sake of your joy. I'd like to pause here for a moment and, and just acknowledge this vision of the Christian life, of Christian community, is so high. It seems so impossible. Ha- I mean, look how out of this world this is. Like, it's not communism or socialism. The, so- the possessions were freely, voluntarily given out. Even- each person had the right to their own personal property. There wasn't governmental pressure. This is unlike anything the world has ever seen. This is unlike any social program, anything the government's ever recreated. What's the secret to this? What drives it? You know what? It's not socialism. It's not communism. But it's gospelism. It's gospelism. They are not shaped by a worldly ideology. They are shaped by the greatest news ever. News that we have. And they had, to. the gospel. See, do you want to know why this type of fellowship seems like such a pipe dream? It's because we forget who we are in the gospel. Because the truth is this, we do not just share fellowship with one another. We share fellowship with Jesus Christ. 1 John 1 says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You don't just have fellowship here. You have fellowship upwards. That's the secret. That's the key. Do you, want to know, do you want to know the secret to sharing your time with others? Remember that Jesus Christ stepped into time and walked our path, experiencing our every pain and every temptation that we had. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was gladly with us so we can gladly be with each other. Do you know what's the secret to sharing your home with others? Because Jesus Christ gave up his heavenly home and dwelt among us. He tabernacled, pitched a tent among us. And at the cross, he faced the exile and the eviction that our sin warrants so that we can be brought home to him. So that he can look at you and he can look at me and he can say, in my father's house, there's many rooms and I've gone to prepare a place for you. He opens his house to you so we can open our houses to each other. Do you want to know the secret of sharing your possessions? you want want the secret? The secret is this, because Christ was rich, but he became poor for you. 2 Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He was the king who bankrupted himself, so that you as a beggar, a spiritual beggar, could be made rich and a prince. You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hope Church, Toronto North, that is your living hope. You have an inheritance that will never be taken from you. No one can ever rob you of it. It will never lose value. It will never crash. Christ became poor so that you might become rich, so that you can be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. He was bankrupted so that we could be made rich, so we can, be, we can give, fully give ourselves and share our possessions. That's who you are in Christ, Hope Church Toronto North. You are sharers in Christ's time. You are sharers in Christ's home. And you are sharers in Christ's riches. So share yours. Share together. Be generous and ready to share. Share together. Be together for fellowship and watch out because joy will come. Together for the word, then awe. Number two, together for fellowship, then joyful generosity. Lastly, the last rhythm of the early church, together for Christ's exaltation. And then gospel increase, together for Christ's exaltation, and then gospel increase. Do you want know the only responses to, to glorious truths like that? Worship. Worship. Verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Do you see the word the there? The breaking of bread, the prayers. They're established formal worship practices. And verse 46 expands. Look at verse 46. It says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Uh, I actually like the CSB translation of this verse. It, it, it It does a better job of not hiding the repetition. It translates that every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. This is their devotion again. But their devotion was to formally getting together, attending the temple, breaking bread. Why was that so important? Why, why that such devotion? Because their formal worship gatherings were the place where they could regularly magnify, remember, and exalt Christ. See, you gotta remember, their lives had just changed over two months. This was, has, has been the most eventful two months of their lives. They see pointers to Jesus all over. They can never see the world the same again. See, just two months ago, the resurrected Jesus Christ appeared to men on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, I think it's on the screen. I just want to highlight this one thing that he did. He, he, he blew their minds. He walked with them. And at the end of this text, he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He was saying to his disciples, look, everything you've done as a Jewish um, uh, worshiper of of Yahweh, it all points to me. Everything points to me. Can you imagine what they were like in the uh, the temple? Every temple element pointed to Jesus' work. They perhaps would see the curtain and remember Jesus' death tore the curtain and gave them access to the Holy of Holies. They would hear the law of Moses taught and remember that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. They would hear the prophets taught in the temple and remember that he was the one the prophets spoke about. They would even recall, perhaps, Jesus standing in the temple, reading Isaiah, sitting down and saying, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it was all true. It all pointed to Jesus Christ. It was their version of saying, he is the Lord of my salvation. We just sang that song. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Do you know why they were so craving to go to the temple? Because all over they could see nothing but pointers to Jesus Christ. It's how Jesus Christ became alive to them. They tasted and they saw Jesus, their eyes were open. That's why they're breaking bread all the time. They taste and see their Savior. My debt is paid. The Lord is come. The Lord is my salvation. Hope Church of Toronto North, you can do the same. This is why you gather. This is why you're gathered here today. For Sunday services, for prayer meetings, you get a chance to come together for Christ's exaltation. I was so blessed by that last song. My debt is paid My victory won. The Lord is my salvation. That was probably going through the minds of the earliest believers, but you get it too. Every single week you come together to exalt Jesus Christ. Do not treat it flippantly because if you do, you get less of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. You get less awe of Jesus Christ. And do you know what happens when a church is so full of awe of Jesus Christ, a church that is exalting Jesus Christ with all they have? Gospel increase. Last verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The world watched and saw something different. And God moved. And our God, who sovereignly builds his church, added brand new salvations every day. Can you dream with me? Because I remember being in this spot six years ago. And Hope Church Toronto Toronto West was a dream. And I remember praying recently that, man, we've looked back at what God has done over six years, and we cannot believe that we are literally standing in answered prayer. We had seen him move and change lives, and we couldn't believe it, that God was adding to our number. Day by day, those were being saved. Why not again in this city? Why not again in North Toronto? Why not a Christ-exalting church called Hope Church Toronto North that looks completely different from the world? and sees lives change for the glory of God. Why not revival in this city? Hope Church Toronto North, North, do you want to be a city on a hill? Do you want to be a light in darkness? Be together for the word. Be together for fellowship. Be together for Christ's exaltation. And watch as your God builds his church for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us a portrait of what we're called to be. But, Lord, we recognize that we are so, so inadequate. So, Lord, would you remind us again and again and again of who we are? Remind us of our identity, that you are the one who shared everything with us, and so we get to share with the world. Lord, would you put exaltation back in our lips, because your name is worthy to be praised and would you see, Would you give us the privilege of seeing your hand move throughout this city to bring amazing life change. In your most precious name, we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.